message. God, um, that song says it all. You're, you're alive. And because of the power you have over life and death, we're alive. And because of that power, we have so much to look forward to. And as we've, as we've talked about already, your love is so greatly expressed in what happened at Easter. And so tonight we ask that you would uh, open our hearts, our minds to you, that we would leave with a renewed faith or an opportunity, a challenge to explore faith or um, maybe it's even embrace faith. But we ask you to, 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 um, to be the leader here. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're in this series just finishing up called Easter Exclamations. We've looked at statements that have been made throughout the, the Easter story, and, and tonight we're going to do one more. Um, but before we go there, I just want to tell you, uh, I'm not typically, my wife does this. She reads a book, and when she gets to the end, she goes back and rereads sections to make sure the story made sense, right? Which is sort of, when I finish a book, I, you know, I mean like once a year, maybe every three years, I finish a book and I put it to the side, you know, good, right, kind of thing. But, but I have to say, I, I don't do that with, with books like, like she does. But I have done it with some movies, like movies like The Sixth Sense, Right? When I got to the end of The Sixth Sense, and I'm not going to ruin it for you, don't worry, no spoiler alerts. If, if you haven't seen it, by the way, are you ever behind on your movie watching? But <laughs> when it got to the end, I'll just ruin this much. There is a huge shift of thought, a huge um, blindside to, to that movie. And when I got to the end, my thought was, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Did that really make sense? And so I forced myself to watch the movie a second time to make sure that everything... Did you get anybody else do that, by the way? You watch, yeah, you're watching it, and you're looking, going, did, this, did the continuity of the story hold together with that paradigm shift at, at the end? And I started thinking about this whole Easter thing, you know, and how the disciples experienced it. And, and when we get to tonight's phrase, you're going you're gonna to understand, I think, it's one of those paradigm shifts where you got to go back and go, wait, did, really, did that make sense? As you go back, let me read to you the, the Easter... What, what, it's going to be read all over the world. This passage from, from Matthew about the women going down and finding that Jesus had, uh, wasn't in the tomb and that he'd been raised you know, from the dead. So here's what it says. It says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, you know, Jesus' mother, went out to visit the tomb. Right? So let me just pause there for a second. What Jesus died on a Friday late in the day and when the sun sets, not you know, we start we start Saturday at 12:01 a.m. right, but in the Jewish way of thinking of a day, it starts at sunset the next day. So at sunset the Sabbath starts. So what happened was late in the day Friday Jesus dies. They get the body, they're ready to put it in two, but the sun is about to set, and then the Sabbath starts. And what can't you do on the Sabbath? Eat pork which you're all having tomorrow. Ham, I don't understand, but that's what you're going to do in celebration of Jesus. And um, no, you can't do any work, right? So you, you're not allowed to prepare the body. So they had to hurry, the, the, get the body into this, into this tomb, and they were waiting until uh, later to, to deal with it. Well, Saturday is the Sabbath, so they couldn't do it there, so they waited until Sunday morning. So early Sunday morning, the ladies are going down there to take care of the body that they couldn't do because they didn't have time before the Sabbath. So here's what it says. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone 
and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a, into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead, just as he said. As he said what happened. Come, see where the body is lying. Excuse me, was lying, not is. <laughs> That's sort of an important verb, that was. <laughs> right? And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. Right? So they have this encounter with, with the angel. And the angel goes, hey, you know what happened? He's gone. He's risen from the dead. He did it just as he said. You know, and, and the problem is, when I look at the disciples, I don't get just as he said. Because according to the angel, right, Jesus had told the disciples ahead of time. Right? Hey, I'm not going to stay dead. I'm gonna, there's going to be an empty tomb. I'm going to be alive again. According to the angels, this is God's plan. Right? And Jesus knew the plan. And according to the angels, the disciples knew the plan. Everybody knew the plan. Right? And so the question is, why should they be surprised? If they really know the plan. Now, if that's, if that's true, we should be able to go back in the book or rewind the movie and catch Jesus teaching the disciples about this coming back to life thing, about this dying for the world thing, right? Because this is just as he said. So I'm going to show you, by the way, when you read through the Gospels, it, it's brought up over and over and over again. And you start thinking, how can you be surprised? And you start to really wonder about the disciples. So let me just show you three, maybe even four spots where it kind of shows that they should have known what was going on. So the first time is when Jesus goes into the temple and this is at the beginning of his ministry. It's kind of confusing because Jesus actually, when you read through scripture, it looks like he did this twice. He goes into the temple. He's upset. You know the story. They were selling, they were selling sacrifices at inflated prices because of Passover. Right? Everybody's coming to town. They didn't bring their, their lambs with them. So we'll buy one there, and then they just jack up the prices. Right? And Jesus is furious because the people are profiteering from acts of worship. And so he flips over tables. He makes a scene. He starts yelling and screaming. He's very upset. It's kind of for some of us who who would like an organic Jesus, you know, because he's like, does he ever get, he got angry, right? And, and, and so he's expressing all that. So after that, the Jewish leader's like, oh, who's this guy, right? In fact, John kind of talks specifically to that. John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, it says, the Jewish leaders demanded, what, what are you doing? Right? I think it, I think they were probably even more colorful language than that. I think who are you? What do you think you're doing? Kind of a moment. If God gave you authority to do this, tell you what, show us a miraculous sign and prove it. Prove that you have the authority to start flipping over tables because we're in charge here. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now here's what you need to know. This is a brand new temple. It only took 46 years to build. It was built by King Herod. Solomon's temple was laying in ruins. They rebuilt the temple. Only Herod couldn't do it the same way. He had to make it like twice as big. Twice as It took 46 years to do it. And they were all aware of that because it's a recently finished kind of project. So, so 
you're going to tear it down and rebuild it in three days, Jesus says. What they exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days. And then John gives us an insight. He says, when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. Right now, that's a little cloaked, isn't it? I mean, if you were there and you heard that, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know, except for hindsight, that Jesus was talking about tear down this temple, and I will raise it from the dead in three days. So that's, that's the first one. By the way, it, they didn't get it until afterwards. Here's what it says in the next verse. It says, after he was raised from the dead, the disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus said. So there's a little bit of hindsight. Oh, yeah, remember he said that? Wow. And he came back to life just like that. He is the temple, right? So that's the first one. He offended people at the temple. The second one is, after getting it right, Peter gets it wrong. So let me talk about the getting it right part with, with Peter. Jesus, one day, and this is after popularity increasing, and everybody's kind of starting to wonder about Jesus. Jesus took the disciples aside, and he said, hey, who do people think I am? Right? Who are they saying that I am? And, and so the guy said, well, some people think you're Elijah come back from the dead, or maybe one of the other prophets come back from the dead. You know, they don't even believe in reincarnation to bring up these kinds of ideas, right? I mean, that's not a Jewish thought, right? Other, other people, you know, they're all wondering about you. And finally, he kind of looks at me and goes, okay, that's what, it, lots of theories. Who do you say that I am? Disciples. Who do you think I am? And there's kind of like dead silence for a moment. And then Peter speaks up, because that's Peter. He just does it. He says, I think... You're the Messiah. I think you're the Son of God. And Jesus looks at him and says, Wow, Pete, blessed are you. But don't get a big head because you didn't figure this out on your own. The God showed this to you. And he said, You're right. And Peter has this great moment, right? He's, he's the one who said, and he goes, Yep, it's true. It's true. And then I want to show you the next verses because this is a turning point. In Matthew 16, Verse 21, it says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And the Bible, Matthew's going, hey, he told us this plainly. And when he started to talk about those things openly and plainly with the disciples, it didn't sit well with everybody. So here's what Matthew says happens next. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Can I just pause for a moment? When you get to heaven, don't do that. Do not reprimand Jesus, right? It's a bad idea. So he's, he reprimanded Jesus for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, or, or God forbid this, Jesus. He said, this will never happen to you. It's not going to happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. And the translation of that, the Satan word, would, would be, you're the enemy. Satan kind of means the enemy. So get, get away from me. Get, get behind me. Get, you're a dangerous trap to me. You're trying to get me to do something that's against God's will. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, but not from God's point of view. Right? So, so he starts to speak openly and plainly. And th I said, that's this too. There's, there's a whole bunch more. Let me give you a, a third one. The Pharisees demand a sign. And again, this is Matthew recording, chapter 12. It says, one day, teachers of religious law and Pharisees came to Jesus and said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. Right? It's sort of like, hey, do a magic trick. 
to show us who you are. Now you understand, it didn't matter what Jesus would do. They weren't going to believe. And the fact of the matter, they could start following him that day and they would see miracles as Jesus taught and journeyed and healed people and walked in the water. They could have they seen all that stuff. It was there in front of them. And Jesus just goes, you know what? Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign like I'm a magic show. Basically what he's saying. So the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. You guys remember Jonah? Jonah was a, was a prophet of Israel, and God came to him and said, I want you to go to Nineveh, which is the enemy, and I want you to t- tell them in 40 days they're going to be destroyed because of their sin. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going to do it. He goes the opposite direction on a ship. The ship gets in all kinds of trouble, right? And they're trying to figure out what's going on. The sailors finally, jo- Jonah says, it's my fault. They throw him overboard under great duress. They didn't want to do it, but they were going to die anyway, so Jonah's first. <laughs> and they throw him over. Big fish comes up, swallows him, right? I know I've lost some of you in that point. Just hang with me, right? The, sh- the, the fish takes him to the shoreline of Nineveh, throws him up, right? So a mess. And when Jonah goes up and starts teaching, because of the story he tells, the people believe and they repent. And then it says God decided not to destroy them, but to forgive them. It's a story of, of grace, even for Israel's enemies, right? So, so he says, the only sign I'm going to give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah, right? For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And he's saying, I'm going to be in the tomb. I'm going to be dead. And it's, again, it's a little bit cloaked. But the meaning is clear. And, and just as Jonah was assigned to them of grace, Jesus was going to bring grace to, to the whole world. All right, so we have the offense people of the temple. They demand a sign. After getting it right, Peter gets it wrong. Pharisees demand a sign. But Jesus is speaking more and more openly about it. In fact, he was speaking so openly about it, it was actually becoming common knowledge, right? Because he was talking about his death and his resurrection more and more frequently the closer he gets to the actual event, right? And we know this is true because after Jesus died, Matthew tells us that that the Pharisees even knew about this, right? Because here's what happened. Jesus is, is dead, and then on Saturday, the Sabbath, here's what took place. The next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate, right, who, who had the power of Rome behind him, right? And they told him, sir, we remember that the deceiver, they're talking about Jesus, once said while he was still alive, because now he's dead, that after three days I will rise from the dead, right? So they're, they know about it. The people who put him down go, wait, well, okay, good, he's dead. Now we've got a problem, because in three days, he said he's going to come back to life. They even know that what Jesus was talking about. So so we request, Pilate, because you have the power of Rome, that you, we can't do anything without your permission, that you will seal the tomb until the third day has gone by, right? Until that, until that happens. This will prevent the disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone that he was raised from the dead. By the way, this is a theory that many, many people believe about Jesus. They go, it's a legend. The disciples stole the body. And, you know, but, but the Pharisees were already on guard against that. They had sealed the tomb. They had Roman soldiers there to, to guard it. He said, you know, if, if they do steal the body and then start telling everybody he's raised from the dead, if that happens, we'll be worse off than when we were at first. We had, we had to kill him to stop him, but if he comes back as legend, it'll, it'll never end. So they sealed the tomb and they posted guards to protect it. And my only point I really want you to catch out of that is this rumor of Jesus coming back to life 
was, was becoming common knowledge. It was, it was just as he said that it happened. He said it over and over again, which raises for me maybe a question that you've never struggled with. Here's the question. If Jesus said it, why were the disciples such a mess? I mean, if, the, if Jesus said, here's what's going to happen, one, two, three, and then after the third day, I'm going to come back, you know, and why were the disciples so chaotic? Why were they running away? Why were they hiding in fear? Why did they go back to fishing? Why did Peter deny even knowing Jesus? Why didn't they turn to each other and go, okay, it looks bad. But remember what Jesus said? We've got to have faith here because Jesus said he's coming back. Jesus said he told us all these things were going to happen. I know the whipping and the it's really They put him on the cross. We saw him die. But hey, it's only day two. It's only day two. He's going he's gonna to come back. Why didn't they do that if Jesus taught it so clearly? And I think I know the answer. I know it experientially anyway. I think it's this. In the moment, it's difficult to remember. Right? So, so in the moment with, with stress, excitement, when emotions are engaged, it's really, really hard to remember. I've got this canoe paddle. I was, I was doing the math on this. This thing is, I'm thinking it's 37, 38 years old. And it was mine. I bought it new. And it has like, I'm thinking three to 5,000 miles on it. Because we put it in the car and I drove... No, <laughs> right? But no, it has that, like that many. We, Lori and I used to lead whitewater when we were much younger in shape. Led whitewater canoe trips, that sort of thing in Canada, right? So we took a group up um, to a river called the Wasso River, which is French, and I'm probably saying it poor pronunciation. Anybody French? No, it has to be French in here. You know what Wasso means? Wasso? Yeah, no, I'm not going to write. It, well, good, then I can just say anything. Um, <laughs> it, in English, it means bird river, right? But... It sounds so much better in French, right? So it's the Wasso River. And you can see the river coming down. And where I got it, that little circle there, is actually you can see there's like a, a portage. I know, portage, sorry. And, uh, but that's because there's a big rapids there. So part of this trip with these, this youth group and the adult leaders was to, to shoot some rapids, right? So you know what rapids are like. There's like that kind of water. And this river had some beautiful rapids on them. You know, some of them were just shoots and you're through, no big deal. But other ones were kind of complicated and you had, to know, you had to know what you were doing. You'd come to the shoreline. See, when people hear shoot rapids, here's what they think. Get your canoe paddle and paddle as hard as you can. And get through. If you do that, you're going to end up wet. Right? What you want to do is you want to pull up to the shoreline and you want to get all the junk out of your canoe and carry that over. And then come back. I mean, if it's a decent rapids. If it's nothing, then sure, just go through it. But if it's a decent rapids, and you got to think about it, then you come back with your life jacket on, and you walk the shoreline, and you do what's called read the rapids. So these two guys wanted to do this rapid. So I'm, I'm going, okay, I want, I want to talk it through with you. It takes a lot longer to shoot rapids or to do rapids than it does just to walk around them, right? But, but it's fun if you don't die. And so we're standing on the shoreline, and I point out certain things. Okay, you guys see that rock, that rock. In between, you see that dark V, kind of the water running down. If you've gone on a river, you know what I'm talking about. There's a V. That's where you want to go down. And then you want to paddle backwards, actually, and so you stay even and slip across to this other channel and go down there. And then you, the, the river bends, so you've got to get next to the wall where the deep water is, go around there. And then you're going to go through two more little deals. And then, and then there's a final V. You've got to hit that V. It's very important. Okay, okay, we talk it through again, talk it through again. And, then I, and I said, now, after that V, the last one, you see that little ripple? 
That is a monster rock. Right? Oh, it is? Yeah, it is. You are, when you go through that V, if you're not paying attention, if you party too early, and you're going to feel so good when you get through that V. But if you start celebrating then, you're going to hit that rock, and I promise you, it's going to hurt you and the canoe. Right? So we went through that over and over and over again, and they got their, their adrenaline's flowing, right? They're all pumped up, and they go through. They did it perfectly. They hit the first V. They moved over sideways. They went through the next V. They got against the wall where the deep water was. They got through that. They went through the other little things, and then finally, they look at, they're pointing themselves right at the last V. They go through the last V, you know, and they're paddling, and, they're, and when they got through that last V, they stood up with the paddles over their heads. We did it! Bam! They both got driven down to their knees. Of course, at this point, I'm laughing like crazy on the shoreline. But they both need, need, they both put their heads down. You know, I can see them put their heads down and knees were moved for about four minutes. And then they got up and they came. And the next day, they were all black and blue on their knees. And, and what happened was, and we just tell me, you partied too early. You forgot what I told you. Why did you forget what I told you? Because in the moment, when everything's going on, no matter how many times we repeat it, we tend to forget we're human beings. And that can be happy moments, excited moments, or it can be grief and sadness. Right? If you've ever coached a sport, by the way, with kids, you go over the play, you go over the, this is your zone, don't leave your zone, you're a defenseman, don't stay near the blue line or in this half of the soccer field or, you know, this is your position, don't do this or that. And then the game starts, right? The game starts, I mean, they're so good in practice. But when the game starts and the pressure's on, all of a sudden these kids are like, wait a minute, you're not a running back, what are you doing? You know, you're supposed to be blocking or you're supposed to be in defenseman or whatever. And they just go all over the place and you're going, why do I coach? Why do I coach? Because here's the thing. The more intense, let's go back. The more intense the emotion, the more difficult remembering becomes. And I'll bet you if you stop to think about it, you could probably think of examples from your own life where that's true, where it was just so hard you could hardly think straight. Right? Day two. Day one was when Jesus died. And certainly, shock for the disciples. I know they knew about it, but they they didn't know no. You know, they never saw it. They didn't experience Day two, they are in their deepest grief. And so they, they run away. You know what they did day one and two? When the, we'll just call it day two. They, they abandoned Jesus. Right? Matthew tells us straight up. He says, when Jesus got, when, got arrested, right? At that point, Matthew 26, 56, at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Where's my followers? Uh, we don't know, Jesus, they're gone. They're, they're so out of here. Right? Why? Because they're so afraid. And I always think about Peter, by the way. Remember the Last Supper? And Jesus goes, I'm going away to a place. I'll go anywhere with you. I'd go to the death for you, Jesus. Right? And Jesus is almost like, Pete, really? Before the rooster crows, you know, like our alarm clock in the morning? Before that happens... You're going to deny even knowing me three times, right? So, so day two, we find Peter denying being even a follower of Jesus. By the way, let me just put you in Peter's position for a moment. You're at that supper. You go, I'll follow you to the death, right? You've 
I'm in, Jesus, to the death. I would die for you. I'll die with you. I'll never abandon you. And Jesus looks at you and he goes, hey, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. In the next 12 hours or eight hours, maybe five, six hours, you're going to deny me three, even knowing me three times. What would you think or say? You're going to deny me three times before morning. What are you going to say? No. There is no way. In fact, you go, Jesus, I'm going to prove you wrong. That's what I would do because it's like a challenge, right? You're going to be wrong. By the way, don't ever try to prove Jesus wrong. That's almost as bad as criticizing him or whatever. You know, but, but wouldn't you, everything inside of you be lit up? Not the one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to deny doing Jesus, right? And then day two comes, and you're in this grief, and they took Jesus away, and they're whipping him, and, and a little servant girl comes and says, hey, you look like one of those guys. And you go, no, 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 I never knew him. Right? Another person says something like, are you sure you're not yelling? I hear an accent. No, I never knew him. I never, another person comes, I, I told you I never knew him. And the rooster crows. And you fall to your knees. Right? Because everything Jesus said, even though you knew it was going to happen, even though he warned you about it, under the emotions of the moment, you forget all the coaching, all the things going on. And that's what, that's what happened to Peter. In, in day two, the reason this is relevant is because it's something we all go through. You will have day twos in your life. Days when your emotions are fired up and you forget what Jesus said. Wonder where Jesus went. Wonder what's going to happen with your life. Wonder how you can make sense of anything. This is, this is part of life. And we've got two day two stories to show you from people in our church. So watch this. Nate and I decided to adopt because we wanted to make a difference in a child's life. We began the adoption process in November of 2015, and exactly one year later, we were matched with a birth mom. We actually met her and even went to an appointment with her. When we first heard the heartbeat, we began to fall in love with the child that we would one day call me mom. Soon after, we began to prepare a room in our home for a new baby that would be the answer to our prayers. A few weeks later, I started to get a sense that something wasn't right. Then I got a message from the birth mom stating that she decided that she wasn't going to go through with the adoption plan after all. Our hearts were completely broken. We poured our time, energy, love, and emotions into this adoption only to have to start all over again. We were discouraged and confused. Why would God allow this to happen after giving us such great hopes? Just one day later, the agency called us about a new case where a birth mother wanted to make an adoption plan for her newborn daughter. We were very cautious and fearful we may experience the pain and disappointment that we had just endured, but desperately wanted to be a part of a new baby's life. We asked our church and friends to pray for us. Two days later, we got a call from the agency that the birth mom picked us, so we jumped in our car the following day for the long drive to Florida. We headed to the adoption agency and met our daughter's birth mother for the first time. It was good to meet them and they were so glad they picked us. Then they brought the baby in and we all saw her for the first time. It was definitely an emotional moment to share with her. 
Our beautiful daughter, Abriella, is home with us now. Our disappointment and sorrow we felt in our day two experience is replaced with the promise of God from Scripture. Deuteronomy 31.8 The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God never left us. Even though we felt loss and discouragement, he was always there giving us renewed strength and hope that we would someday bring a child into our family, just as he said. After struggling for many years with the disease of addiction, at the age of 21, our son lost his battle with this ugly disease. Experiencing the loss of a child can certainly test your faith. After the shock and the numbness, the anger and the unbearable grief and sadness, you wonder how you can go on and face tomorrow when your heart has been ripped apart. Without my faith in God, I wouldn't have been able to dig out of that dark hole. Isaiah 43 says, Fear not, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through deep waters, I will be with you. When you pass through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I was comforted knowing the Lord was always there with me, holding me up and giving me strength and a feeling of peace. The tragedy of losing our son has taught me many things. It has opened my eyes to other people's suffering and taught me to be more compassionate to others who are going through something painful in their life. I have an inner strength that I didn't even know I had, and it's opened doors that may have never been opened had it not been for that tragedy. My faith has grown deeper, and I feel much closer to God now than I ever did before. We never know what He has in store for us, and we don't always agree with His plan or His timing. He has certainly steered me in a direction I never thought I would be going. One thing I do know is that he walks beside me, giving me strength and encouragement, and that one day my son and I will be together again. That's what gets me through until tomorrow. So here's the danger showing stories like that. The danger is we give the story and like the solution in the next breath. What I want you to know, and I hope you caught it, when, <laughs> you know, when Irene and Nate lost that first adoption, they were absolutely day two. They were so excited. They were so heartbroken when, th when they lost it. They weren't even sure they wanted to go for another one because they didn't know if they could take that, that pain again. And when Dawn's son died, I mean, there's a sense she's still in day two, right? She still feels it every day. But she holds on to God. And what she's holding on to is the promises of God. See, the, the power of just as he said for the disciples was he, he told us what was going to happen. He's in control. He knows what's taking place. It's, 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 it's a plan. He's there. But the promise of, of just as he said is for us is, is not historical. Well, okay, Jesus knew what he was doing. Yeah, that's important, but it's what else he said. 
Because if everything's true for the disciples, that's what Jesus said is going to happen, then every, isn't it a little easier to believe everything else Jesus said for us? Just as he said. So let me just give you some things that Jesus said that I hold very near and dear to my heart, that give me strength and hope through, through those day two experiences. The first one is this, death is not the end. Jesus said to his followers, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to go there. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me there and with God there, the father. Right, John 14. And he's just saying, hey, death is not the end. Right, and and when I've gone through my death experiences, my mom, when I've helped other people through death experiences, those verses, those promises, it's, Someday when we're in heaven, we're going to go, it's just as he said. We were so chaotic and upset about this, but it's just as he said. Here's another one he said, that following me is a better way to live. Now, we've got to be careful here. It does not say following me will give you a better life. That's, that's not true because we think we know what a better life is, but it's a better way to live. It's a wiser way to live. He said that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose, Jesus said, is to give a rich and satisfying life. And rich isn't necessarily about money. It's, it's about a full life, an abundant life, some translations say. Right? And this is what I found in my life, is that following Jesus, learning his wisdom, has filled me up. Primarily because I, I think I was made for something to be a part of what he's doing. And when I engage in something so much bigger than me, it, it fills me up. It doesn't mean I get more money or a better job or fame or fortune or any of that kind of stuff. It's the things that Americans think of, we think of. Because in the end, that's going to mean nothing. But I want the richness that Christ brings. I want the purpose that Christ brings to my life. That's, that's the satisfying, satisfying life I want. But following Jesus is just a better way to live. Let me give you one more. God's love is certain. When he was meeting with Nicodemus, was asking all kinds of questions. He was a Pharisee. Finally, Jesus looks at him and says, get this, Nicodemus. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, he's speaking of himself, so that everyone, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone means everyone. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how far you've kept God away, Jesus said, before any of us turned to him, God turned to us and said, here's my son. And his death is a sacrifice for your sin so that we can be right. This is why he gave his one and only son. This is why Jesus was not a victim. He was a sacrifice. He chose to do, he knew what was happening and he stepped into it. And, and, and most of us focus on the last part. We're like, okay, that's how we get to heaven. We have eternal life. But what speaks to me the loudest is this is how much God loves us. He loves us. There's nothing you can do, Paul wrote, to, to end God's love for you. You can't outrun it. You can't destroy it. No matter how tough your life is, it does not ever mean that God doesn't love you. You can do nothing to separate yourself from God's love. So when day two comes, and I'm experiencing all the anxiety and the emotion, or the, and I'm likely to forget, that's kind of the question. Will I remember that death is not the end? That that when it doesn't feel like a better way to live, that following Jesus is still a better way to live because Jesus said so. That God's love is certain even when I'm not feeling God's presence or his love. His love is certain. Can I do, can I do what the disciples did? And you know what the answer is? No. I don't, the disciples fell apart. 
under the pressure. I love the fact that they did because I know I fall apart sometimes under the pressure. And then, oh yeah, he said that. Oh yeah, he said that. And I go back to the book and I reread the chapters and I remind myself that this is just as he said. Now, everything I've told you tonight, it's not just for the disciples. It's not just for me. This is for you. This is why Christ came. This is why he died for every single person in this room. And, and if I'm going to tell the truth about Easter, I know what's going to go on this weekend in this room. We're going to have some people who come to church because they're followers and believers in Jesus, and Easter is the most meaningful holiday ever. It's what Jesus did for us, and we're going to celebrate that together. For others of us, we come and we've been keeping God at a distance. We don't know what we believe. We don't know if we should believe. We don't know if we can believe. And we're exploring. If that's you, I would really encourage you to read through the Gospels. See what Jesus taught, what he promised, how they lived. Think it through. Explore your faith or your lack of faith. Pray to the God you might not even believe in. God, if you're really there, show me. Because I don't want to miss out. And I don't want you to miss out. And there's some of us who are here. And the basic truth is it's just another holiday. And we're keeping mom happy, our spouse happy by going to church. And we'll eat the ham. We'll go to the church. And that'll be Easter. I hope that's not you. If it is, I, I want to encourage you to look for more because there's so much more. So much more. We're going to stand together, so go ahead and stand up. I'm going to invite you to join in this, this hymn of, of worship where Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, I just love the disciples. I appreciate how they reveal themselves as stumbling and struggling people. As they struggle to, to hear you, to understand you, to follow you. And even though they were right in your presence, when the heat came on, they, they bailed. And I love that because you called them back. And maybe some of us relate to that, God. Maybe some of us have walked away from you. And we wonder if you'll, you'll take us back. And the answer is yes. Just like you took them back. And God, I love the story of Thomas. Who found it so hard to believe. He wanted empirical evidence. And yet he found his faith in you. And maybe there's some of us who relate to that, God. We just, we want a miracle. We want you to prove yourself. And God, I pray that you would call us to you as well. And give us a gift of finding faith. Or finding the hope to start faith. And God, there's some of us who have denied you and walked away at a level that we think you can't forgive. And yet you do. So God, maybe someone's here tonight who says for the first time, I want that forgiveness, what Jesus did on the cross to count for me. If that's you, maybe you just pray a prayer like this. Jesus, would you be the forgiver of my sin? I want to become a disciple, a follower. Would you, would you lead me? Would you coach me? Would you guide me? 
Would you lead me into that, that life that's better, that's wiser, that's fuller, that's richer? I want to be a Christian. I want to experience a relationship with you. And I want every promise you ever gave to come from me. And God, maybe there's some of us praying to you and just saying, I don't know if you're there. But if you are, would you, would you reveal yourself? Because I want to know. God, we thank you. We thank you for, for Easter. We thank you for the promises that are in Easter. We thank you for the promises that surround Easter. Help us to live them in them. We thank you for the way you provide for us, for the food we're about to eat. We give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen.